morning, everyone. Good morning. Scripture reading is going to be Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody today? And thank you to all of you who cooked for our picnic next door. I know one, I know for one, I'm going to make this sermon about an hour, so you'll be super hungry. That way, when you eat, you'll really, uh, you really, really enjoy every bite. But uh, do join us. We love you. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we're so glad that you can come and fellowship with, over a meal um, together. So please uh, feel free to stay, and we're glad to have you. Well, how many of you remember the old Beatles song, All You Need Is Love? Yeah. Now, you, maybe you know a little bit of the history, but I thought I'd share it with you. The Beatles released this song in, in July of 1967, and it was a Lennon-McCartney write-up, but it was actually debuted the month before. In June, on June 25th, in the, at EMI Studios in London, this was the very first broadcast via satellite that was seen by an audience of over 400 million people. It's the very first time they were broadcasting for the entire world to see. It's not that they didn't have the technology, it's that turning the TV on and making it worldwide and, and live broadcasting, right, a live performance. This was the new thing. To allow for the show's international audience, McCartney and Lennon, they decided to keep the song very simple, and so they wrote a very simple set of lyrics, and they thought they would capture the utopian ideals associated with the summer of love. If you know what happened about a year before, anybody remember that? Woodstock, the summer of love, and all the disaster that that brought later on. That single topped the sales charts in Britain and the United States and many other countries, and it became the counterculture's embrace of flower power philosophy. How many of you know what flower power is, right? Naming your kids after, you know, like tulip and chrysanthemum so that you could show that you're in love with nature and mankind and everything's just supposed to be all smarmy. We're all supposed to go down and eat some shawarma while we sit there and hum uh, while, uh, what a, how many, how many people will strum a guitar in the background while you're burning incense? It was just nuts, right? Just a nutty time period. I would want to change the lyrics a little bit, though, if I were saying this. I would want to change the lyrics a little bit because the most repeated line in the lyric in the whole song is, love is all you need, right? You hear it ad nauseum through the song. And I think in general we could say, well, yeah, in some ways you could probably say that. It's maybe an oversimplification. I think we're going to add to that a little later. But if I were to sum this up as the Bible's message, I would say, God is love. Amen. I would say, God loves you. Amen. I would say, you need to love God, and you need to love your neighbor. Because love is really all you need. The world would be a much better place if we had just a dearth of love pouring forth from the church and from humanity in general. I believe we live in a world right now where we could say this statement, love really is all you need, 
not because that's the only thing, but because we look at our society and we see certain things. We go, uh, well, there's, there's a president that's standing there watching them parade bodies of dead servicemen, and he's checking his watch, and he's almost irritated that he's being, his time is being used up to honor the dead. Or uh, l- arriving days later to a, the horrific fires that devoured whole towns and people that were blocked and burned alive in their cars when that happened. I mean, come on, man. We need more love. Y'all are with me on that, right? So my question is, how did we arrive at a point where the lack of love, this lack of empathy, this lack of showing our compassion to other people has reigned so greatly? But remember, church, our phrase, love is all you need. And I think it stems from a philosophy of self. And this goes way back to the turn of last century. And it's not a new concept. You have people like Francis Bacon saying, you know, knowledge in itself is power. And we shortened it. We say knowledge is power today. And some of them even shorten it even further. And they say what? They say girl power. Y'all with me? And I'm not saying I don't want women to be empowered. Don't miss, don't get lost in the weeds on that. But we tend to kind of boil things down to a life that we can make and control for ourselves apart from the God of the Bible. And we try to say that if we just muscle our way up ourselves, that somehow we can do it apart from God. And really, ultimately, it's just the worship of self. We try to put on the throne of our heart ourself rather than the God of the Bible, and therefore we become God ourselves. Now, how many of you, when you tried to drive, and you were, you were saying, you know, I didn't want Jesus to be my co-pilot, I wanted him to drive? Because we know what has happened to our own life when we try to run things only by ourselves, apart from God's leadership and guidance. It's a lot, of, and that comes from so many... Um, thought processes, but mainly with the idea of trying to move God out of the public sphere where we need to be conversing about him to our our friends and our neighbors and, and the world at large around us and believing a lot of the lies to say you just need to keep your religion to yourself. What has replaced it is psychology and philosophy. And psychology and philosophy, it's all worshiping of, 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 of me instead of worshiping God. Think about it. It goes all the way back to scientists who made the first organic compound, and that small little group of people said, well, there couldn't be a God because, look, we made organic compounds. Or how about eugenics at the turn of the last century that led, that would make the most, that said, we'll make the most perfect race of people on the planet. And it only took 15 million military deaths and nearly 40 million civilian deaths to put that idea to rest that one country should forcibly make other countries do just that. And the world is replete with modernity's self-aggrandizing social media darlings who, uh, in truth, rarely offer more than thirst traps, wealth traps, and other time wasters as this current regime of narcissism reaches what I hope is its zenith. Self-centeredness is just at, on top of, of the world. But remember, world, love, love is all you need. We do need love, that's true. But in truth, the gospel needs more than just love. Love is foundational for sure. But a person has to go through a process that leads to a lifelong love of God 
and neighbor because the Christian's going to act differently than what the world will expect them to act because we want to influence others to live and act like Christians. Amen? Love might be all that you need in a way, but it manifests itself in the Christian life much different from the world, and it requires something very significant. It requires obedience. The Christian life is different because it's anchored in objective truth. It is anchored in the truth that there is one God who really is love. The Bible says that, who wants us to love himself, him, and he wants us to love the lost souls that are in the world. He wants us to love ourselves enough to also love our neighbor. And as you've seen with the rise in mental illness, what do people become? More self-absorbed, more self-focused instead of God-focused and others-focused. How many of you know how to say the words to joy? How do you spell the word joy? It's Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It's not saying you aren't important. It's putting things in their right proper order. Because our eyesight should be fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, not on ourselves. It should be focused on others and helping to better them. Consider others what? Better than yourselves? That's a Philippian concept. And then yourself last. Obviously, when, when God said, love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't saying, don't love yourself. He was saying, love your neighbor like you love yourself, because you do love yourself. How many of you like to eat picnic food? How many of you like ice cream? How many are you going to bring some next week? The fact of the matter is, we do love ourselves. Sometimes we love ourselves too much. But the Christian life is anchored in the God who loves you, but it requires obedience to what he asks. And what he asks of you, what Jesus offers to you in requirement to follow him, is not heavy, it's not burdensome. He said it himself in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you. Why? For my yoke is, and my burden is. Isn't that interesting? When he, when he demands that you take up your cross and follow him, it's not meant to you, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Oh, boy. He lightens your load. Why? Because his blood no, can wash away your sins. Following and doing what he asks of you and becoming a slave to righteousness to follow him is a better, more happy, and fulfilling life than the other way. Obeying Christ is not meant to break us down with the heaviness of our own sins and sufferings. Obedience brings us to the point where we can access what Jesus brings to us. Forgiveness of sins, heaven so long as we live a faithful life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That conviction and comfort of knowing that as we study God's Word and as we, those truths are revealed and we do our best to apply them and make them a part of our life, that we will live a better life. Remember, God's will is to always want what is best for us. It's not what is best for Ryan. It's what's best for us. Because if, you all, if I was really a uh, success preacher, I would say, God's going to make you successful if you just open your wallet and we can raise a million dollars by tonight. Oral Roberts said that years ago, and I remember watching that. on the, We were flipping channels one time, and I remember saying, take him. <laughs> I remember that. It's like, no, it's the, God's not preaching earthly success, though you might be blessed, and I praise God for it. 
But what he brings to us is what's best for us. He loves us. Why would he not want to bring us the best life possible, even if it's not the most lucrative one? Obedience to God, to listen to his word and to believe what that word says, to put our trust in God's word and what he says, to do what it says because it leads us to the Christ that we will follow above our trusted resources like our family, like our friends, like our own opinions. How many of you read about from, from first opinions sometimes? How many of you have listened to people who read about from second opinions sometimes? Trusting God as the resource to tell the truth that the God of the Bible is truth. Your word is, what did Jesus pray? Truth. And that what that means is, as the world might want to continually pull away from God, we need to draw closer to Him because He wants us to draw near to Him because He wants to be near to us. It's thinking about that word and valuing it and believing what it says. Believing that God exists and that he'll reward you if you seek him. Because the value of a God seeker is more than simply forgiveness of and heaven. It's more simply than just getting a get out of hell free card from God. The value of a God seeker is someone who can take that same message and influence other people. Because we are given a message as a vessel even though we're vessels of clay, even though we're human in all the capacities you can think of, you still have something positive to encourage others in so that they might walk with Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you need that because without Christ's blood, we're not forgiven. You have to believe that and you have to believe that he exists, that he wants you to follow him. Believing will cost you. Committing to the truth of Scripture, that value, that value of full devotion has been sort of downplayed in recent years, right? What's best for me and the me generation? When we, when we realize that there's no I in team, we start to think and move our eyes more outward. We start to look at God and we say, I want to follow after God. I want to commit to Him. I want to believe what He says. And even though society might try to throw out objective truth, and they might try to say that there's only things that are subjective to whatever our personal experience is. And the only moral law that, ma that matters is the moral law I make up for myself, which doesn't seem to work, by the way. It doesn't change the fact that God loves you and He wants you to believe in Him and He wants you to per pursue a relationship with Him and obey the truth that you know is in Scripture. And if God tells us that we're sinners, we say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And if we're saved, we say, you know what? I'm a saved sinner. How many of you are happy to be a Christian? Amen? How many of you are glad that Jesus forgave you of your sins? Amen? Let me tell you, church, it is a beautiful thing to obey the truth that we find in Scripture and to know that the burden of our sin, the, the burden of trying to get to heaven by ourselves, which is impossible, has been made, the way has been made by Jesus Christ. And he's made it in such a way that if you'll just stay on the straight and narrow, it only has one end, to find him, to go to heaven. And that, that if you just stay on that path, that life will be a better life for you. You know, we, we've all had bouts of sadness and depression trying to wear our own mantle, trying to carry our own sins ourselves, trying to work things out on our own. But it is, it is not God who, who cannot save. It is us who do not come near to him. I had a professor, a music professor, years ago in one of the chapels 
He said, if you wonder about whether or not you have distance from God, guess who moved? It wasn't God. It was us. And if, he's, and if Jesus says, if you don't believe that I am he, that you'll die in your sins in John 8, 24, we have to believe that, I, that he really is, that I'm a sinner, and that I need him to solve that problem that I cannot solve. God wants to forgive us, but we still have to face some of these issues and just own our role in those, in those issues that we need to bring before him and repent of so that we can access the things that he's, ask, that he's offering. Friends, I've met thousands of people in my lifetime, maybe you have too, who they, they feel bad about their station in life. They feel down about whatever was happening in their life. But for whatever reason, I've, they, they don't humble themselves and go back to God. They still think that there's some way apart from God that they can find forgiveness of sin, that they can find that alleviation, that, that, that way out. And that's why you see that rise of mental illness. That's why you see suicide rising. Because people keep, keep their, their eyes focused down here instead of looking up where the answer truly is. God is the answer. He's the capital T truth. And to repent of your sins is something that's asked of us. Truth that our sins do affect ourselves, and sometimes we love to leave out this last part, we have offended God. And ultimately, that really is the relationship that we want to make right. Ultimately, that is the person that we want to follow. And too often times, when we are, are dishonest with ourselves, we want to just go, I've hurt, I feel bad, but we stay there, we dwell there. Why? Because godly sorrow would lead us to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads where? To just despair. Because we still, we're still looking here instead of looking up there where the answer is. And finally, we have to confess that Jesus really is Lord. Acknowledging Him, believing in Him, it means I'm no longer lost in my own darkness by turning to, toward the light and saying, yes, I'll do what's asked of me. We, it, for Christians, it's casting down all the imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, but we bring our thoughts captive to Christ. Why do we do that? Because we want to submit in obedience to Him. Jesus Himself said what? If you love me, you will Keep my commandments. Notice he didn't add, add the words perfectly. Notice he didn't add the words without any trial or trouble or suffering. We're guaranteed in our humanity that things, that if Murphy's Law is true for anything that's technical, it'll be true for our lives as well. We'll do a lot of great things, and once in a while we're going to trip up. And we're going to need to continue to be in that relationship with God forever, with Jesus forever. But following that capital T truth and believing that we don't want to die in our own sins apart from Him, we have to do what He's asking us to do. These aren't optional things for us, church. And there's, there's, a, there's a way to say that in a gentle and loving way to roll the ball out to say this is something Christ is asking of us. It's one thing to take the Bible-thumping five-pound Bible, and I had one growing up. I did, really. I started preaching with a KJV that I, I, I got a lot of weightlifting out of it. 
And instead of thumping people, we want to love them into the fold. I'm just as much a saved sinner as I want you to be. The truth that applies to you applies to me. I'm humble enough to admit that I'm not as perfect either. And praise God for that, that he's the only one that sent a perfect son. Because if I have to meet that standard to meet God, there's no way. But I can access what he wants if I just do what he asks of me. Confessing him as Lord, as leader, as master of our life. And if he says we had to be baptized, then we're baptized. And then when we do that, we put on a new attire, folks. Now, do you guys remember um, remember in, uh, Rush Hour 2 with Jackie Chan and, and Chris Rock? Remember when they, right before they go into the Red Dragon, they have to go change because they came out of the sewer? Remember that? And they walk into the store and they're like, hey, nothing touches this body but leather and silk, you know? Like, you know how Chris Rock is. He's like just real off the top. How many of you, when you became a Christian, you came up out of that water and you went, man, that was awesome. Something amazing just happened to me. Something so wonderful, I want to tell other people about it. I want to tell people how happy I am that that burden of sin has been washed away clean and lifted off my shoulders. And that my life now is in Christ. I've been added to the body by Him. And now all I have to do is stay with Him all the way, imperfectly, as best as I can, worshiping, telling other people, showing God my gratitude by obeying Him. Because then you're clothed with Christ. You are clothed. You have put on the new. The old has gone away. The old man's dead. The new one's come to be raised to walk in newness of life. Boy, love might be all you need then because the, to live the Christian life to the fullest because there's some good things that come from living the Christian life, from putting on those new clothes. You can put on things like compassion. It is with passion, right? Passion by itself doesn't necessarily have a direction. But compassion is what Jesus did when he looked upon the crowds and he was moved with compassion and he healed them. When he looked at the crowds and he looked at Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I'd wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. When he looks at people and instead of giving them what they deserved, he gives them something more beautiful. He heals them. He restores them. He calls them to the better life, which is a life with him. And what did people say when they heard about this Jesus? If they weren't trying to hold on to power or prestige or whatever, they were in love with him. That's why people followed him. He lived a life with compassion. We can live a life that has kindness. Oh, we need more kindness. Don't be like that guy on Friday night who cut us off and gave us the universal greeting sign. Could have caused a really bad accident. Don't try to be first. It's okay to open the door for people. It's okay if you come in second. What about lowliness, humility? What about wearing, hum, being humble? 
not hurt you because I was hurt, because I want justice and vengeance, but, get, but rather giving grace and mercy and forgiveness instead of revenge. Remember that Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels. Remember, it only took one angel to kill 185,000 of Sennacherib's men. Remember, it only took one angel, the death angel, to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. God has authority over the entire army in heaven. And yet he chose to spread out his arms and die on a cross. And he didn't say, man, when I get back, I'm going to get you. I'm coming back. God's going to raise me. But mm, I owe you one. What did he say, church? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He chose a pathway of lowliness when he was a king. What about meekness? I like how Jordan Peterson describes this, although I have my own definition that I use. But he says it's, it's knowing how to use a sword but keeping it in its, in its sheath. Strength under power. That's my definition. Knowing you could, but you don't. Because you would prefer a better pathway. We have a student in our center. Um, she's a really nice girl, but she's super, super shy. And she doesn't want to talk to anybody when she comes in. She barely says five words. And she can speak. She's, this isn't the problem. She's just super shy. So I told the instructors, just work with her. Just, you know, let it, let it flow. As long as she's doing her work and she's, you know, you're interacting enough to get your, get your job done and her job done, leave it alone. Show meekness. Don't try to be the teacher or the instructor. She shouldn't have to look at you from your nose hairs. Or how about this final one, patience. Now listen, if you guys, how many of you like Cold Stone Creamery? I don't know about you, but I have real, I have a hard time with patience in lines. I got to work on that, I know. But, you know, it's, it's the person that's standing in front of you in line that says, how small is a small? Church, if, if you have to ask how small a small is, you're not hungry enough, get out of line. Or I could just practice more patience, knowing that I'm probably going to ask how small a small is sometimes. So remember, church, yes, you do need love. And you, need to, you do need to love God, and you do need to do what he's asked of you to have what he's offering you. And if you don't, then you don't have what he's giving you. But it's a free gift that he wants to give you. And he does love you, and he did die for you. He died for the whole world. And yes, that means you too. And if you're not right with God, you need to become right with God. If you are fallen away from God, you need to get back on the right path with God. Know that we love you too, and we want to help you do that. The water's ready, so please don't hesitate to come forward while we stand.